0: well hey there everybody welcome to gather and go the podcast that helps you plan promote and lead better trips i'm brian jewell i am your host and i am feeling quite joyful that you decided to spend some time with us today and as always our promise to you is that we're going to do everything we can to make that investment of your time worth your while now today we're going to do that through a featured conversation with chris cheatham west if you don't know Chris, he is a former Google employee turned digital marketing expert who is going to help us simplify our online travel marketing. He's also the uh, author of Digital Marketing for Results, How to Focus on What Matters, and you are going to pick up a ton of helpful and practical insight from him in today's future conversation. But before we get there, let's start with some travel news you may have missed. Next time you fly, don't try to pack a PB&J sandwich in your carry-on, because the Transportation Security Administration has recently said that peanut butter is a liquid. That's right, in a tweet late last month, TSA informed travelers that it considers peanut butter a liquid and, as such, can only be brought through a security checkpoint inside a 3.4 ounce container inside a plastic bag. Now, According to TSA, peanut butter is a liquid because, quote, it has no definite shape and takes the shape dictated by its container. TSA went on to say that the rule has actually been in place since 2006 and that other common foods such as creamy dips and spreads, hummus, jams and jellies also qualify as liquids as far as the agency is concerned. As you might imagine, the tweet set off a firestorm of online anger, with critics pointing out that TSA allows larger liquids through the checkpoint if they've been frozen first, and that other countries have much less stringent requirements. Now it's time to move on to the road tip segment of our show. This is the part in every show where we dip into our bag of travel knowledge and share some tips that we have learned over the years that help us make our travel smoother and more convenient and we think will help you do the same. You know, we were just talking about TSA and the hassle of uh, getting things through that checkpoint, particularly if they are liquids or arguably liquids, or maybe TSA thinks they're liquids. Well, I want to tell you a little story about a time that I almost missed a flight because, well, I'm a little ashamed to say, I was arguing with the TSA agent. But uh, first, let me give you some context. For years and years and years, uh, I traveled with my own shampoo. I don't do that so much anymore, uh, but I used to travel with my own shampoo because I just liked the way it looked on my hair better than hotel shampoo. And I had a plastic reusable bottle that I just refilled with that shampoo and I kept it in that quart size zip bag. I followed all the rules and I must have gone through hundreds of airport security checkpoints with that shampoo in that bag, never had an issue. Well, one day I was with a colleague coming home from a conference, checking in at the denver airport and um got to the tsa security checkpoint and the agent flagged me pulled me out of line grabbed my ziploc bag and started questioning me about my shampoo bottle now there was hardly any shampoo left in the bottle i'm talking like maybe enough for three or four showers not very much way way less than 3.4 ounces I don't think the bottle even held 3.4 ounces and it was just a clear plastic bottle completely unlabeled. Well, I don't know if this agent was having a bad day. I don't know if she was on some kind of power trip. I don't know if she just didn't like the way I looked, but she decided completely unilaterally that uh, that bottle was more than 3.4 ounces. Now, again, there was no label on the bottle. There was no way to know, but she told me I couldn't have the bottle. I couldn't have the shampoo and I would have to throw it away. Well, I did not like her attitude. I didn't like what she had said. So I asked her how she knew it was uh, more than 3.4 ounces. And she just said, well, I just know that didn't sit right with me. And I will spare you the details. But let's just say I got into a pretty tense exchange with the agent and eventually her supervisor. Uh, incidentally, uh, my colleague uh, since the storm brewing and uh, pretty smartly just sailed through the security checkpoint and gave me a look that said, I'll see you on the flight if you make the flight. Well, long story short, eventually I realized that if I kept up this crusade, I was going to miss the flight. And it was painful, but I said goodbye to that shampoo bottle that I had traveled with for years. Honestly, I still miss it. And if I think too much about it, I still get kind of bent out of shape because that agent was just wrong. But why do I tell you this story? Well, I tell you the story to lead to my travel tip of the week. And that is this, I have not had to get my shampoo bottle out or any other toiletries out or anything out of a plastic bag for about seven years when I fly and I still fly a lot. But you know why? It's because I signed up for TSA PreCheck. Now I know this is not a tip that you haven't heard before. But I can't say enough good things about pre check. If you fly more than once or twice a year, this is something worth doing. Now there's a little bit of hassle involved. You have to fill out some forms. You have to make an appointment uh, with the Homeland Security Office and go in and do an interview, but it's not very difficult. And once you get approved for pre-check, you get clearance for five years and it basically allows you to fly the way you used to fly before 9-11, before TSA was actually created, before all these ridiculous rules were put into place. So with precheck, you have your own line at the airport, which can be really helpful, especially if you're in a hurry and uh, trying not to miss a flight. You have your own line, it's usually much shorter. It usually moves a lot quicker. And one of the reasons it moves quicker is you don't have to go through all the hoops that everyday travelers have to go through. You don't have to pull your liquids out of your carry-on bag. You don't have to take off your jacket. You don't have to take off your belt. You don't have to take off your shoes. You don't have to go through uh, that big uh, scanner that uh, where you hold your hands over your head and the scanner takes a scan of your entire body. You just go through a simple metal detector. It's so fast. It's so easy. Costs about $85 for five years, but I'm telling you it's money well spent. So if you fly more than once or twice a year and you haven't already signed up for pre-check, well, pause this podcast go over to the TSA website and start the process. I promise it will save you some time. The next time you fly, I promise you will thank me for it. Well, there's your road tip of the day. Next up, I want to share just a little bit of news from us. Now, you may know that in addition to publishing uh, great travel magazines and this podcast, uh, we also host a series of familiarization trips in destinations all over the country and sometimes even around the world. Now we call that our on-site familiarization program. We do it in conjunction with host cities that love bringing people like you, travel planners, to uh, see their cities or their states. We showcase their destination. We show you a great time on the ground for three or four or five days. You get to travel very frequently with me or another executive from our team. And these are an absolutely incredible way for you to develop firsthand knowledge of cities around the country so that you can plan trips there, and not just plan trips, but plan great trips because we go to a lot of effort to make sure that the things that you see and do on these FAMs are really fantastic experiences that you love and that will bring your guests back to wanna travel with you again and again wherever you go. Well, uh, I want you to know that you can find out about our latest FAM tour opportunities and see some of the places we've been in the past anytime on our website at grouptravelleader.com slash FAMs. That's right, we have a whole page set up for that on that page you can see where we're headed next we update it in real time so anytime we have a new fam opportunity it's going to show up there in addition to that there's a place where you can join a contact list so that you get priority notification when we have a new fam going and registrations are open and you can see a bunch of more than twenty fams we've taken in the past go through those articles. They read like itineraries, and that's a great way to research some product uh, for places you might want to go that you didn't get to go on that fam. But it's still uh, a wonderful opportunity to see some of those great experiences that we took our travelers on. So grouptravelleader.com/fams. I'll link to it in the show notes. Check it out, bookmark it, come back to it often, and hey, make sure you join that list so that you get priority notification about the next place we're going when we announce it. Now it's almost time for us to get into our featured conversation with Chris Cheatham West. Before we do though, let me encourage you to hang around to the end of that interview. You're gonna hear us talk some about uh, how you can use video as a way to promote your travel organization. And after the interview, I am gonna share a few of my own thoughts about travel videos and how they are used and uh, maybe misused to promote travel throughout the industry that's today's hot minute you won't want to miss that we'll be right back with Chris Cheatham West all right everybody my guest today is an online marketing expert and the founder of LR training solutions after working for Google he launched out on his own to teach business leaders around the world how to optimize their web presences and social media strategies for success. He's a member of the National Speakers Association and the author of two books, including Digital Marketing for Results, How to Focus on What Matters. Chris Cheatham-West, welcome to the podcast. Yes, thanks for having me. Yeah, man, I'm so excited you're here. Uh, Digital marketing, is a huge topic. Uh, I have lots of questions about it personally. I know our audience has lots of questions about it. So I think it's gonna be really helpful to hear from somebody with your expertise. But before we get into that, I'd love for people to know a little bit more about your story. Tell us kind of how you found yourself in the world of digital marketing.
1: Oh, sure. So it started back when I was in college and I started off with a degree of marketing. So I was working towards that degree. And during that time, I got an internship And in that internship, it was for like a local small business, and they really didn't have any type of marketing department. So since I was working on that degree, I decided I would be willing to help as far as being that marketing manager. And then that's when I started to learn all these useful tools that come with digital marketing, such as the analytics, the search engine optimization. And the more I got into it, the more I realized that there's so many free and low-cost tools that are available to any size business. Mm. And at that position, we were able to go from not having any presence to being on the first page of Google for a local market. That's above many larger organizations that were in that local city as well. Yeah, And so that's when I realized that many small and large businesses are not even taking advantage of what's going on out there. And then eventually I got a job at Google, my first full-time job, and at that opportunity, my main role was to go around the country with about 100 other people and communicate to small business owners on how to actually market online. Because years ago, everyone thought that in order for you to have a website, it's going to be $10,000. Yeah. And that was just not the case. And so we just showed them all these free resources, low cost resources, and all the tools that Google was offering, such as Google Maps, Google Listing, Google Plus at the time, Google Analytics, Google AdWords, all those tools that are helping small businesses. And then eventually, once I was in that position to train and speak to small businesses, that's when I liked, realized that I was the one, I was, I was interested in uh, speaking and training. And that's when I started my business, uh, LR Training Solutions, where we help uh, organizations. So that's how I got into it. And then eventually wrote the book when I realized that many people, they understand how to do one area, such as Facebook, or they understand how to do maybe LinkedIn. But there wasn't that many resources that just gives you all the resources you need at one time, such as email marketing, SEO, advertising, social media, just give you a good understanding on where to go and how to put everything together.
0: Yeah, uh, that's amazing. You know, you, you mentioned a couple of times uh, marketing being a low cost, uh, endeavor, or it's something that can be done relatively low cost or, or even free. I think that's something that is a, a major pain point for a lot of business owners, because there are certainly agencies out there that would love to come in and charge you a couple thousand dollars a month to maybe do your SEO, run your social, uh, do your AdWords. And a, a business owner has to sit there and think, okay, well, is it worth it to pay that person? Do I try to figure it out myself? Uh, How do I measure ROI? How do I know if I'm paying that agency thousands of dollars a month? How do I know I'm, I'm getting my money's worth? So I assume you get that kind of question all the time. How do you help business owners kind of untangle that question of, do I try to figure this out myself or do I just cough up the cash to hire a quote unquote professional to do it for me?
1: Yes, I get that question all the time. And I would say they should consider how much time do they actually have? Do they have time to try it out? So I would recommend trying these things out on your own to see how much time is needed, how much time and effort is needed. And if you can do it yourself or do you really need to hire somebody? So one thing to do is I always recommend to understand it. So people come to my presentations, events, and some people, they're marketing managers. They're not the ones that are actually going to implement it, but they have a team of people, but they come to the presentation because they want to understand the language, the terminology, because if you get some of these agencies and you're paying this money every month, but you're not getting reports. You can feel frustrated, mm-hmm. and you might not know what's going on. You might be paying, but you're not really getting the results you want. So that's why I would encourage anybody, whether you have a team or whether you're by yourself, understand it. Understand the basics. Understand what is what is SEO, what is digital marketing, what is Google Ads. How does it work? It doesn't mean you have to do it, but if you understand it, then you can assess if you can actually do this on your own. Or you can hire somebody else. And if you do hire somebody, you kind of know what they're talking about. And the good thing about it these days is these platforms, they're making it easier and easier every year to do things on your own. Because they understand that there's a lot of small business out there that don't have the resources. I mean, when I started my business, I would say eight years ago, I had to do everything myself. I couldn't hire somebody that I, like I have right now. So they understand that. And even with AdWords, if you look back at 10 years ago, how ads were... I mean, if you're a small business, you'd have time. There's no way you would do like a Google advertisement Now there's express ads that you can within 10 minutes, you're up and running. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot of opportunities out there. But like it says how much it, what, what it takes, understanding yourself. Then it says, OK, do you want to hire somebody or not? Well,
0: wow, that's that's brilliant advice. It's uh, it's kind of foolhardy to go hire somebody if you don't even really know how to track what they're doing. You don't know how to track their results. So, yeah, that's great. Now, uh, you mentioned um, AdWords. That's part of the suite of products that Google offers, uh, but also just ranking well on Google is really important or can be really helpful for small businesses. So I'm curious if there are some things that you have encountered over the years that many business owners just don't understand about how Google works. Let's start on the search side, and, and you know, we can talk about ads later, but uh, what are some of the misunderstandings about Google search and how to you know really make the most of it as a business?
1: Oh, yeah. So the, um, one misunderstanding is that people aren't really searching. They're, they feel like, well, maybe it, social media is what I just need to do, just post on social media. That's great. You can generate business from social media, but you don't want to avoid all the other ways there is to generate revenue and generate leads. So I think that's a misconception because when it comes to social media, you post something, you can get that immediate gratification, such as a like, comment. But when it comes to search, you really don't know if people are searching or not. You have to kind of go in and do some research. But if you think about it, everybody's always searching. That's why many of these social media platforms, they're they're currently search engines right now or they're turning into search engines. Mm. I mean, even TikTok, some people are saying that the younger generations, they're using TikTok to search for things versus Google. But when it comes to Google, you want to make sure that you have content that relates to what people are trying to search for. Mm. Versus understanding, if you have a business, what are people typing in? So, for example, when I spoke at the a conference, the transportation conference, many of them, they had tour buses and many of them, they work locally, regionally. And I asked them the same question. So what would people type in if they were finding your business? And for many, it'll be something like Dallas, Texas tour company or Dallas travel agency. If that's the case, you want to make sure that that content, words like that, are on your website. Mm -hmm. And so that's just the first step of it. That's just kind of understanding like what what people are typing in. And then the second step would be consistent content. I always tell people an easy thing to do is update your website every week, Mm -hmm. once a week. Mm -hmm. It could be one sentence, (laughs) you know, one sentence on your about page, one sentence on your surf page. That's all it takes because you don't want to be seen as a website that hasn't been up and running for the past year, hasn't been touched for a couple years. That might signify to the engines that wait, are these people in business? heard there's no updates. Yeah. So yeah, that's the first step. That's the first step, it's a, it's a long process, but putting content on your website, you can write a blog if you want to on a once, maybe once a month, just to keep the updated content. And then from there, you're gonna get some results as far as rankings, and when people type in, if you're at the top five, top ten, most likely you're big. You're, you're gonna get leads. And many people in different industries, they're not, they're not uh, doing it. So you can take advantage of
0: it. So um, you're saying that I don't necessarily need to post a brand new blog post every week or some new piece of content. I can go back and uh, edit, modify something like that existing content, and I still co- get the credit for my site being, you know, quote unquote, updated.
1: Yes. And I will say adding content versus editing. I will say adding.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great. So I remember, um, when I first started learning about SEO, uh, this is 10 to 15 years ago, there was a huge emphasis on getting links to your page backlinks to the point where you would like call up or email all your friends who had businesses around the country and ask them, Hey, can you, can you do a blog post and link to my site or you know, people would exchange links. You'd have a a section of your website that was just links to other people's. It was all about these backlinks. So to what extent is linking still important versus um, that content generation that you were talking about?
1: Oh yeah, so linking is definitely still important. So that's just kind of how, in general, how people measure if this is a popular website, if if this is a well-known website. And it's interesting that you bring that up because yes, we can call our friends, to say, hey, can you put my website link on your website? But guess what? If your friend just started that website last week, it's going to be no credit, <laughs> right? So, mm-hmm. but if you put your, you get your website on a major university website, that's major because it's like, wait a minute, that's a .ed domain, that's a .gov domain, that's a, a popular news website domain. That's the major reason why links are important. If they notice that. Hey, Brian's uh, link is on a university website. Then it's like, Hey, okay, how do you do that? That must be a credible website because this university website has been around for 20 years mm. and then bam, that's what happens. That's how you get the, those results. And then the more of those quality links you have, the better. And then add that to content. Then you have a winning strategy.
0: Yeah. I love that. So a lot of our listeners uh, are travel company owners. They own tour companies. And among their clients are organizations like university alumni clubs, uh, some bank groups, uh, churches, long-standing you know, community organizations. So is it worth them, you know, having a conversation with somebody, you know, at that alumni club and saying, hey, why don't we make sure there's a link to my trip or my website um, on your page? Number one, because it helps the people in your club who want to find information on the trip you're offering. But number two, it's going to help me. Uh, because it gives me a big credibility boost when the search engines see that I'm getting linked to by a university. Is is that correct?
1: Yes, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, perfect. So that's a, that's one strategy you can use. It's like communicate with them, and not only that, reaching out, but also let's say, for instance, a, a major website or a university, for your example, they announce you or mention you on their website. Then you can say, okay, hey, thanks for the mention. Do you mind putting a link to my site? That'll be huge, really helpful for my business and credibility. And it'll help people find me that are looking for my services. And of course, they'll probably be willing to do this since they already mentioned you. And I've done this multiple times with my business. Let's say, for instance, I'm doing a keynote presentation and an organization announces me and they don't put a link. I just email the manager, program manager or whoever is in charge of that blog post. And I say, hey, thanks for the article. Thanks for you mentioning me. You might putting a link to my website to... Of your audience.
0: Yeah, oh I love that. Now on the content side uh, for your websites, you're saying it's important to you know put out new content fairly regularly. Um, I have heard some SEO people you know say your content needs to fit exactly into this box of a certain number of words and you need to repeat your, your target phrase over and over and over almost to the point where I feel like I can tell when I'm reading a, a post that's been written for SEO. You know what I mean? As, as opposed to something that's been written organically for humans. I'm also beginning to hear, though, that that people are maybe weighting those organic posts a little bit higher than they used to. So can you kind of guide us through when we're creating those posts for our uh, our websites, our blogs? How much should we be trying to just hammer a keyword phrase to rank versus how much should we just be writing good copy for our potential customers?
1: Oh, you always want to think of the customer first, no matter what. So part of. What I tell businesses is, let's say they want to grow their small business. One thing that I make sure to do is I choose a target audience and then I write in the words that they use, the audience uses, so they can understand it. They realize that, OK, this person, they have experience with my type of business. Mm-hmm. They're not working with every single type of business out there. They specifically using words that I use. They've worked with teams like I have a team. They work in these countries or this Uh, the city that's where I'm based off of, they've worked with people that have similar job titles that I have. Mm. So I'm more confident in working with these people. So you always want to think about the customer first and then you want to consider, all right, so let me add some keywords in there. Let me make sure that enough of those phrases are in there. You don't want to just have a list of keywords, but then that's where the additional content comes in. So if you only have a paragraph on that page, then it's not gonna do much. But if you have four, five, six, seven, eight paragraphs or 800, 800 words, words in the content, then that makes a big difference.
0: Well, let's, let's turn the page a little bit. Uh, let's say somebody's got that kind of down on their own website. Let's turn the page to social because that's certainly a part of, of an online marketing strategy. It's so confusing. To know where to start, and again, just like on on Google, there is organic content, and then there's the whole paid side, and it's hard to know. I feel like even more on social, your paid activity um, impacts how much reach your organic stuff gets, maybe more than than is the case on Google. So, a small travel company, maybe it's got uh, maybe it's a solopreneur, maybe it's got two or three employees. What is an advisable strategy to start in social media um, that's going to be sustainable and is going to bring results that are measurable?
1: You want to start by just posting, if you can, maybe once a week. You know, so, I mean, ideally, you want to get it out there every day. But once a week is a good start. That's how, what I started with. And then eventually, once you get used to it, then post more often, once a day. And then you're because you want to have a brand that people are continually aware of. And then if you only post once a month, they don't really get an idea of what you actually do. They, Because for my business, whenever I start posting four or five times a week, that's when I kind of had the brand recognition of what I do as a business. And then that's what gained credibility. So you want to consistently post. And two is think about different types of content. So I always recommend educational content. So educating people about, hey, what type of tour bus to choose, what to look for in a tour bus company what to look for when you're traveling to this city or this state or this country, educational content. And then two, because if you have multiple types of content, then you are not only promoting. So you have educational content, promotional content, and then maybe entertainment content, such as quotes and uh, funny videos, things that are going around online. And so then you have a consistent type of formula and you continue to implement that formula. That's probably the best bet.
0: So a lot of uh, tour company owners are going to have actual product that uh, is available to buy on their website. You know, you can book a seven day tour to Alaska or, you know, three days in New York, something like that. Does it make sense for some of those posts to basically just be, hey, check out this itinerary to Alaska or New York? Or is that so promotional that people just kind of ignore it?
1: Oh, no, I think it's OK. I think it's I mean, like I said, you can do the promotional posts. I mean, you need a pro- the promotional post. So people can understand what the business is and what you're trying to sell. So there's nothing wrong with having that, those graphics that say, look, take this out, but you can make it more, more detailed such as, okay, here's three reasons why people go on tours. And this is one that we have. And then another idea is testimonials. Have video testimonials of people that went on that tour before and say, okay, here's Jonathan. He told us about his exciting time where he was at the Alaska tour and then show a 30 second clip of it. Mm. And that's relatable, that's engaging. And I think specifically for this audience, you wanna make sure you have that imagery of people happy on these tours, videos, just so that you can connect. So testimonials, three reasons why you should join the tour, stuff like that.
0: So uh, you mentioned video and uh, that's an interesting topic because everybody can shoot video on their cell phone uh, very often, it looks like a video shot on a cell phone. Or you can go to the other end of the spectrum. You can hire a videographer, spend thousands of dollars. You're going to get beautiful footage, but it costs you. So, in terms of social media impact, does it matter? Does one uh, highly professional or a highly, you know, uh, organic video tend to convert better?
1: So, highly organic video works better because it's more relatable mm. because it's not too polished. And you want to again, you want to seem approachable. You want to see, feel, feel people are connected. That's why if you look at it many times, like just like I said, the testimonials, those do better than uh, when you go to a studio, have professional setup and all that. Those professional setup, those are good for like commercials, like a reel of like pretty much an overview about your business. Mm-hmm. Those are great. But like when it comes to like everyday videos, everyday like interviewing people, nothing wrong with video. And then the, the the cell phone, we have such quality video on our cell phones now. Anyways,
0: so there are a ton of platforms, uh, in the social media space. And it seems like there's a new one every couple of years. I mean, I remember when Snapchat was going to be the huge thing and it was, and now I don't know if anybody is, is using Snapchat, uh, you know, same with, uh, Pinterest and same with, as you mentioned, like Google plus it, you can completely died. So, um, do you have sort of a framework for helping people decide which, network to focus on, especially when they're just getting started or how to find the network that their customers are most likely to be on?
1: Yeah. So choose what platform your customers are on, basically where they're spending the most time. So maybe they're spending time on TikTok. So for example, you got to think about in this industry, what is the age range? What are they doing? Where are they spending time? I mean, you got Facebook, you have Instagram. I went to the conference and some people are saying that they get leads from Instagram because they do the ads on Instagram, because the age range is there. Same thing with Facebook, but choose, figure out where your audience is and then test it out. I always recommend test it out to your posts, see how it does, see how people interact with it. And then once you find out where people are interacting at, you can focus on it. You can focus on, I always recommend like two to three. If I'm looking for, for small business, I'm a post on Facebook for corporate, my corporate clients, LinkedIn, is going to be there. They're not going to engage in much, but they're going to be viewing the content hmm. as far as like the marketing manager, advertising manager, things like that.
0: So um, talk to me about the paid side, especially in social, because my impression is that the social networks favor content from creators who are also doing some paid posts in addition to organic posts. So how do you know um, when it makes sense to start doing some paid posts in your social and should those posts look different than the organic stuff you're posting? Or, you know, what's the strategy for getting involved on the pay side?
1: Yeah, on the paid side, I would always say, for one, if you're just starting out brand new and you have a budget, then you can get started. Because one frustrating thing about social media is you get on these platforms and then all of a sudden you're posting, but there's no way to see your posts, you know, because you're just starting out. So you can start off by doing your advertising to kind of boost those numbers, those likes, those those views, those followers, things like that. So you can at least have that initial audience. And then from there, think about what are you really trying to, what are you really trying to promote? What are you trying to promote? And I think honestly, when it comes to advertising, you don't really have to change the strategy as far as your content. Just like I said before, you have your organic that's promotional. And then that post-promotional content, you can just create an advertisement for specifically that post. And so it's not nothing really different when it comes to the the paid strategy, unless it's unless it's Google Ads. That's a little bit different. But when it comes to social media, you kind of want to make it catchy. Uh, TikTok more like a commercial, so people are scrolling by and it, and it stands out. Even another strategy that's that's useful is shout outs. So that's a paid promotion. So for example, I have a page that has fifty thousand followers, and my audience has the people that you're trying to reach in it. And so you pay me to promote what you're doing. You promote your advertisement. You say, okay, here's my advertisement. Tag me in the post, put my username in the caption. And then I run that for a day. You can either pay me to leave it on my feed for 24 hours or can leave it permanently. But in general, that's a good way to go because I already have the people in my audience and it looks good coming from my page because and then because it's starts, and then they can automatically go to your page and follow and like and engage. So uh, there's so many different strategies versus just paying a thousand dollars to promote it on the platform.
0: And, and so in the case of what you're talking about, you don't even have to be paying Facebook or, or Instagram. You're finding that influencer directly and doing business with them.
1: Yeah, directly. Just send, send them a
0: message. What about the strategy of uh, reaching out to that local influencer and saying, hey, I would love to bring you on one of my trips and I'll cover the cost of it if you would post about it along the way? Uh, is that a kind of conversation that you could see uh, working out and, and that arrangement being profitable?
1: Oh, yeah. That's I mean, that's just in general, you know, in business, you know, you always want to uh, give somebody with their offer. So for me, if I'm doing a business transaction, if somebody doesn't have the budget, then I can ask them, hey, what else can you do? you know, maybe you can give me a video testimonial. Maybe you can uh, give me a free hotel stay, things like that to to make up for the difference. So uh, I think that's always a good idea.
0: So something I hear a lot of people talking about right now is artificial intelligence. Uh, Certainly chat GPT has been getting a lot of headlines. There are other AI uh, tools out there that uh, are really making a splash. I'm curious whether you think those offer a lot of potential for marketers and, and specifically people marketing travel or Is it something that we need to be kind of wary of uh, that may be a threat for people in the travel industry?
1: Oh, yes. So I really think it's going to be helpful for many industries because you got to think about how much time it saves, how much money it'll save. Let's say you have a team of people that are used to doing research and the research takes them hours. You can have them use these AI tools to kind of shorten that time. Right. So and you got to think about what can you do to help your business? That's the key that we got to ask ourselves as business owners is how can this tool, these tools, AI tools, help us further along and grow, help us grow. And what kind of challenges we might face? You know, like if, of course, there's going to be times where it replaces certain tasks or certain jobs. But we got to think about how can we utilize it to our benefit? So I definitely think so. Even when I use some of these tools, I type in questions like outline. So what about this research on this? When did this happen? So it's really useful to kind of think. So for a travel industry, I would say use it to your advantage and think about questions you can ask these tools that can save you time and time and money versus you doing it yourself.
0: So what is the best place for people to find you, follow you, learn more about your work?
1: Oh, yeah. So you can go Chris in So Chris in the end is November west.com. And I'm on LinkedIn. So Chris Cheatham West on LinkedIn, Instagram, Chris and West, Facebook, Chris Cheatham West. So yeah, you can find me on pretty much all the platforms. Awesome. weekend. We can yeah, definitely reach out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Great. We'll uh, link to all that in the show notes. Uh, and uh, your book, Digital Marketing for Results, How to Focus on What Matters. Uh, where is the best place for people to find that?
1: Yeah, you can do Amazon. So Amazon, type in Digital marketing for Results book, and then it should pop up number one. And so, yeah, check it out. Very, very useful book as far as trying to understand how to work all these channels together. And remember, if you have a team, you can just give it to your team, but also you want to know for yourself how everything works. So highly recommend it. goes in directly of what SEO is, email marketing, paid advertisements, every, every way you can think of it to get started.
0: Yeah. Well, I feel like we only scratched the surface, so uh, we'll have to bring you back sometime and, and talk about more of these things. Uh, before we let you go for today, though, we have some questions we ask everybody and these are just for fun. So you can uh, shoot from the hip and, uh, and we'll just have a good time. Yep. Uh, when you travel, do you book a window seat or an aisle seat? Oh,
1: window every, time. Yeah. <laughs> window every time.
0: You like the view or you like something to lean on and sleep?
1: Oh, yeah. I like the view, lean on. Yeah. <laughs> when I'm with my wife, we kind of figure out, we got to argue which one, who gets it. So I usually get the window seat, either the the first flight or flight back. (laughs) So we both like that one.
0: Yeah, cool, cool. So uh, what's something in your carry-on that you wouldn't travel without?
1: Oh man, so contact lenses, that's for sure. Mm. Uh, Let's see, edgers as far as like, like um,
0: beard, you know? Mm.
1: So you know, the beards grow fast, so yeah. That's probably Yeah. That's basically, you know, gotta, gotta, have those.
0: Gotta show up looking good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So uh, if you had an airline pass and a week with nothing else to do, uh, where would you be headed next? Oh,
1: man. I might say, I think it's because you brought up Alaska, but I might do the Alaska because I went to Alaska for one day and they said, yeah, you need at least two weeks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I will probably do a week just so I could see everything at least. And during the time where I think it's the it's nighttime over there for a month or so, I, think, I always thought that was pretty cool. I was like, man, that that would be nice. That, that's definitely on my list is like just being there for at least a week.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I highly, highly recommend it. So uh, you mentioned your wife and uh, I saw on your website uh, you guys have a, a a child as well. So I'm curious, um, what is something that you have done or seen traveling alone That you would love to go back and do again with uh, your family or somebody else you love.
1: Uh, Let's see. I would say a cruise. You know, I'll say like a cruise. Like I say, a cruise. I think I did did that Uh, myself. It was me and her, but like it wasn't like what if it wasn't like a family type of thing. So I think a cruise would be be nice to go back because I think we went to and I can't I can't. We went to a couple different spots. I think it was Mexico. Something like that. But yeah, yeah, I'll say a cruise was a super, super fun.
0: Yes, I'm, I'm sure uh, your wife would love <laughs> to make that happen. So yeah, and she'd probably even let you sit in the window seat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the hub, right? That's the hub. The window seat is the best place to be in the lane. No distractions.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, once again, the book is Digital Marketing for Results, How to Focus on What Matters. Chris, thanks so much for joining us.
1: All right, thanks
0: for Well, I sure hope that you got a lot out of that interview with Chris. I know I sure did. You know, uh, I took a ton of notes as I listened back to that. And uh, if I were to read them all back to you, well, it would take just as long as the conversation did. So I'm not gonna do that. But there are a few points that I wanna make sure we hit one more time, just so that you don't miss them because this stuff is really helpful. You know, early on in the interview, when I asked Chris about whether busy travel entrepreneurs should try to do online promotion on their own or just outsource it to an agency or somebody else, here's what he said. He said, I would recommend trying it out on your own to see how much time is needed. Understand the basics so you can assess whether you should do it on your own or hire someone else. You know, this is such smart advice because as a solopreneur or owner of a small travel business, you are constantly balancing competing priorities of saving time or saving money or knowing how to spend your time or your staff's time or knowing how to spend money. Well, if you don't know how difficult online travel promotion is, if you don't know how much time it takes to start a new initiative, then you're trying to make a decision about time versus money in an information vacuum. And that leaves you at risk of making a bad decision, not because you're not a good decision maker, simply because you didn't have the right information. So even if you just spend a few days or a week, I really love Chris's advice. Try it yourself first. Or if you have a team member whose uh, job responsibility it really is, let them try it themselves first so they can figure out what's involved. They can uh, learn the terminology. They can know what the key measurables are. That way, it makes it a lot easier to make a savvy decision about whether you should continue to spend your own time on it or spend some money on it by offloading it to somebody else. Now, when Chris and I were talking about what makes a website rank well in search engines, he said you need to be consistent with your content. He said update your website once a week. He said it can be a one sentence update. Uh, but you don't want to be seen as a website that hasn't been updated for a year or two because it makes the search engines think you might be out of business Uh, this is really crucial if your site is static if nothing's going on for a while on it uh, that is going to negatively impact your search engine ranking and uh, in digital marketing search engine ranking is huge so you don't have to spend a ton of time writing a ton of blog posts to solve this problem, but you can add some things to a post. Like Chris said, go in and add a paragraph, throw in an extra photo. Or if you do spend some time updating posts, this can actually have secondary benefits to your business because the more content you create, the more it's going to force you to think about your content and that forces you to think about your business. You may find yourself actually coming up with some cool new innovations and ideas just because you did that. Finally. Chris said, uh, when it comes to social media, if you're trying to get that off the ground, you wanna start by posting once a week, then try to move up to once a day. He said, if you only post once a month, people don't get much of an idea of what you actually do. And he shared a great strategy that I wanna make sure you don't miss. He said, you should have basically three different types of content, educational content, promotional content, and entertaining content. So if everything you post is basically a promotion of something you offer, well, people are gonna drown that out. On the other hand, if you're only posting frivolous, entertaining stuff, then you never give people an opportunity to learn about what your business does and maybe do business with you. So I love this idea of basically just rotating through those three kinds of content, educational, promotional and entertaining. And Chris said, as you do this for a travel audience, you want to make sure you have imagery and videos of happy people on your tours just so you can connect with them emotionally. Great ideas there from Chris Cheatham West. Well, you heard Chris and me talking in the interview a little bit about video and the role that video can play in travel promotion. Now, obviously video is a huge tool that is really important in travel, but I think there are a lot of people in travel and specifically a lot of destinations, destination marketing organizations, CVBs in travel that are doing the wrong thing with their videos. I have some thoughts about why this is and what you can do to change it, and that is the topic of today's Hot Minute. Yeah, that's right. The Hot Minute is the portion of the show where I take 60 seconds to give you my unfiltered views on an issue impacting tourism every day, and today it's all about those travel promotional videos. So, let's put 60 seconds on the clock and get into it. Your promo video looks the same as everyone else's. If you work at a DMO, you probably have a destination highlight video. And without seeing it, I can probably tell you what's in it. There's a drone shot of your skyline. There's some exciting outdoor activity. There's some young people having a drink at a bar. There's a couple exploring a museum. There's some women laughing as they shop on your main street. There's upbeat background music. There's a deep voice narrator and you or somebody at your organization probably poured your heart and soul into that video and you put a bunch of money into it as well. But here's the problem. If everyone's videos look the same, nobody's videos are making an impact. So next time you have a project like this, instead of making another cookie cutter tourism video, maybe find a creative way to use video to showcase what really makes your destination unique. This is probably gonna take more work, but people will actually pay attention when you play it. That's how I see it anyway. Of course, you are welcome to disagree with me and we can still be friends. And hey, disagree, agree, whatever you think, we would love to hear from you. I welcome your thoughts, questions, rebuttals, input ideas. You can send all of those to podcast at grouptravelleader.com. I read every email that comes into that address and you never know. Your ideas or thoughts or questions may just be the topic of the next hot minute. And hey, while you are in the mood to give us some feedback, could I ask you to do me a huge favor? Could you go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else you like to listen to podcasts? Look up Gather and Go on that podcast player. And step one, hit that follow or subscribe button so that you automatically get the next episode of the podcast. And while you're there, would you give us a rating and leave us a review? That is a big help. And I am thankful to everyone who has done that. My thanks as well to Chris Cheatham-West for joining us on the next episode of Gather & Go. We're going to have a great conversation with Stephanie Miller of the Scenic Suitcase. She's a travel photographer, and she's going to tell us all about how we can take better travel photos even without being professionals like her. Until then, though, remember this. At the end of the day, we're all on this trip together, so let's make it a good one. See you next time on Gather & Go. Gather and Go is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Jewell. Our publisher is Mac Lacey. Donya Simmons is our creative director. Ashley Ricks is our circulation manager and graphic designer. Our sales team is Kyle Anderson and Bryce Wilson. To advertise on the podcast, call Kyle or Bryce at 888-253-0455. Gather and Go is a production of the Group Travel Leader. For more information about our magazines, podcasts, and events, visit us online at grouptravelleader.com.